welcome 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 part two of our credentialing podcast or dog cast rather um i'm nicole i'm karen oh and liz (laughs) and this is beers and biscuits uh so i am still drinking the copper pig summer cider series pomegranate hard cider And I actually kind of twisted their arm to be able to take some home. And I'm so glad I did because it is so yummy. And then the biscuit we are featuring tonight is by Polka Dog, uh, Premium Dog Treats. I believe I'm saying that name right. And it is called The Green Monster. It is crunchy bits for dogs and cats. And I mean, we wouldn't be proper New England girls if we didn't have a treat on the podcast called The Green Monster. So, Well, you gotta (laughs) say it right though, Karen. Okay, but here's the thing. My parents were very adamant that I would know how to properly say ours. (laughs) They were like, none of that accent in this house. (laughs) So tonight's episode, we have a very special guest with us. And that is a dear friend of mine and a fellow dog trainer. Her name is Elizabeth Bollier, and we are so excited to have her um, just join us in this very important conversation about credentialing and certifications and all the fun stuff that happens in the dog training world. So welcome, Liz. Thank you very much for having me. So we were going to just start with a couple of fun little icebreaker questions because it doesn't always need to be serious. So (laughs) I think Nicole's got some questions for you to start. Okay. Do I do? I have some questions. Okay. Elizabeth, question number one. If someone named a sandwich after you, what would it be called and what would be in it? Oh boy. Well, I think it would be called the gobbler. Um, and although I feel like there might already be a sandwich like this, but, um, my favorite color and food is cranberry. Well, cranberry sauce. So it would have to have cranberry sauce in it, probably some turkey and mayonnaise and lettuce. And yeah, that's what I'm going to go with. That's actually really good. (laughs) (laughs) All right, question number two. Who is your dream dinner guest, alive or dead? Um, oh boy. Oh, I'd have to go with can I pick a couple? I would like Benedict Cumberbatch because okay. I adore him. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, probably Julie Andrews. I don't know Aww. why. I've always wanted to meet her. <laughs> She's just She's a lovely seen... person. Yeah. yeah, she seems like she would be a very was down to earth no she is you know yes exactly so i got her confused for a minute with angela lansbury who i was just reading about who had passed away last year so for a second i thought julie andrews had passed but no she's still with us still kicking (laughs) yes all right and the last question hopefully you get this okay were ross and rachel really on a break You know, I have changed my mind on that a couple times. I have always been on Team Rachel, but 
I don't know. I, I really thought about it the other day, and I, I do see Ross's point. So I know that's really covering my butt a little bit, but <laughs> um, I'm still going to go with Rachel because that's who I've been with. That's that's the side I've been on the longest. <laughs> I mean, I feel like this this discussion alone could oh, take deserves the rest. its own podcast. I agree. <laughs> yes. Those were some really good answers. So I, <laughs> you are off to a fantastic start. <laughs> so now to get into the nitty gritty, the, the tough questions, the reasons we're here. Yeah. Um, and kind of one of the things that we are trying to be aware of in this is that we're not necessarily naming specific organizations um, because it's not what we're, we're not trying to badmouth anybody or, you know, seem like we're siding with anybody. We just kind of want a general opinion on things as it were. Mm -hmm. yeah. So my first question for you is because you and I actually started out as you were my client and yeah. I was your trainer. Yep. Um, so I was just wondering if as a client, did you look for or were you aware of and know to look for a certified trainer or any, you know, kind of credentials behind their name? Um, sadly, absolutely not. Um, and that kind of worries me now that I am a trainer, knowing that I, you know, I had gotten your name from a friend of mine and I know, and I knew she wouldn't steer me wrong. So I didn't put a whole lot of thought in, into it or research. Um, but knowing what I know now, I definitely, you know, it definitely should have, but I was also of the mindset. Um, and I think a lot of us are like, this is that we just assume, well, you know, anyone's going to know more than, than we do or that I do about dog training. So, um, so no, I really didn't. And yeah, I guess so. I guess the, I guess that's the answer to that. Of course, now I know what to look for. And I think this is great. We're doing this podcast so we can hopefully help spread the word. I also think that's like just kind of a very common thing. Like you said, we don't know what we don't know. And exactly. Question number two for you then okay. is after your experience, um, why what made you want to become a certified trainer? I would say, so, you know, this, it sort of began as a hobby. You know, I, I, I had, I had, you know, in the past I'd done plenty of dog training when I was younger. Um, and, but then I hadn't had a dog for a very long time. And I have one of my children has epilepsy and I convinced my husband to let us get a dog, um, for about, for her, for like emotional support. And, um, and maybe even I was like, you know, I knew I wasn't going to train her to be a you know seizure alert dog, but I was sort of curious, like maybe maybe she would alert us naturally if she had a seizure. So anyway, so um, we got this puppy, and I started training her with your help, and I just it just clicked with me. It, it is just um, I just loved it, and I just decided. And then I, I I had a lot of people ask me if I was a trainer, and I you know kind of laughed it off. And then after a while, it's like geez, you know I. I could really see myself doing this. And, um, and I just, you know, over time as my, you know, training grew and evolved, I really wanted to share like these methods of training that, that you had opened me up to. And I think you're exactly right. And having those certifications and credentials, it really helps propel 
this field forward as well. And it, and it gives people a sense of confidence of what you're bringing to the table. Yep. And actually I should share the story that um, really what um, got me most interested in it was, and I've, I've shared this with you many times, but you know, I'd been doing a lot of work with this puppy. Her name is Rosie. Well, we still have her. Um, and and then one day she growled at me and it was, I think, over a bone or something like that. And in, you know, if I had gone back in time to my previous classes, I, you know, it would have been a sign of an aggressive dog and something that you would have, you know, shut down and scolded and punished. Um, so I called you. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have this puppy that growled at me. And honestly, what changed with me was when you said, um, well, when my dog growls, I thank him. And it was like, I, it was, it just opened up a whole nother world for me of like, oh my gosh, great. She's just telling me she's not comfortable. It's time we need to work on why she's not comfortable and not just right. punch what we don't want to see. So anyway, I just figured I would share that. It is, it's a, it is a different mindset for sure. Like, and it, and it does take, it does take work. Yes. Like, active work to shift that mindset and to be open to that. And we talked a little bit about that on the first podcast about, you know, really approaching dog training from a point of being humble and having some humility exactly. because, you know, it does take a shift in that, in, in that thinking that we've always just not even consciously been taught, but even just, you know, subconsciously been taught that we have exactly dominion dominion right you know right um and by virtue of that we have the power or should have the power to command something else to do something and bend them to our will and so it does take a lot of work to shift that mindset um and and bringing it back to you know kind of why we're we're talking about this is i think the two go hand in hand, right? So the more legitimate or the more legitimized our profession becomes, the more those shifts in mindset can happen. And we don't remain cemented in these old ideas and these outdated methods. And so I think for me, credentialing and going that route brings a legitimacy to our, to our profession. Definitely. Completely agree. One of the things we were talking about in the first part of this too is just the language alone that trainers use that we need to be aware of because even, you know, even recently I've been finding, I've been continuing to catch myself saying dog owners, yes. but realistically we are just right. dog guardians. Yes. And so just the shift in verbiage alone is is a monumental task and so I was just gonna say I'm I'm really envious really of trainers that come into this profession already from a positive Lima force-free welfare-based enrichment-based mindset like I'm I'm envious of them 
you know, from coming from where I came from, it had it's taken a lot of work to just like what Karen said, change the language because the language informs how we think. So we have to start with I, and I I don't like using this word, but I hate that we have to start at such a small level of just mm. words alone. But I guess that's that's where we have to start to really bring some change to this industry. What would be something that you would ask now? A trainer, like ask a trainer. A per, like ask a, a trainer, yeah. Yeah. Um, I would definitely ask, you know, how, if my dog wasn't like, so I would probably pick a skill. Like, well, you know, what would you do if my dog, or maybe not even a skill, like if I was trying to have my dog not bark at cars walking by, I would definitely ask what would be like your method of training you know, to, to have him stay quiet when cars go by. Um, while I do think like certifications are so important, I do think it's even more important to ask questions like that. Um, how would you handle this situation? Because, um, well, I think it's unlike, I think there certainly could be certified trainers that sign off on, you know, or, or commit to um, like sign a form saying that they're going to use the Lima methods and then don't. So right. um, I guess that's that's what I would ask is pick a specific scenario, something I want to work towards and ask how they would handle, you know, uh, handle it if my dog wasn't behaving the way that they wanted. Right. Even is something as simple as saying, what what do you do when my dog doesn't get it right? Ex yes, exactly. Yep. Yep. I love it. I think that's I think that's so beautiful, too, because I don't even think we touched on that in the first one as far as what questions to ask and to just say how would you handle teaching my dog not to jump on people you know really honing it in that's a great way to go about sussing out the trainer you're hoping to hire right. and i have been hired um, multiple times after you know people had hired somebody else and then went horribly wrong and i just you know you feel bad that they went through that experience just to find out that it was not at all what they were hoping for or expecting. Um, so I do think, I do wish that people did ask more questions and that, that would be the question of how do we get people to ask questions? Because I have only been asked for my credentials one time. Um, and yeah, that kind of concerned me. So now I definitely, I'm a little bit more proactive. I, I, I put it right on my website, you know, what my certifications are and what my philosophy is. And, and then I always, I always tell people, we usually talk on the phone before setting up a session, and I'm very, very clear about the methods I use. But um, I do find I'm answering questions that haven't been asked, but at least Wait, I know what to you, expect from me. So, Liz, do you think that that is coming from a place of complacency or lack of knowledge? Somebody not asking for your credentials, do you think it's just that they take for granted that you have them or they don't know to ask? I think they don't know to ask because I didn't, I really didn't. I, you know, um, I know like times had changed quite a bit since I, it had been a, quite a long time since I had a dog and I don't know. I just was like, well, you know, I want to do this right. I'll get a dog trainer. And I, I really had no idea. So yeah, I, I do think it's just, just not being aware of that, that there were such differences out there. Right. I mean, I think, you know, go into a doctor's office, I don't think I've ever asked my doctor for a copy right. of his degree, but I do take it for granted that he has one. Exactly. Yes. But I, 
I also feel really comforted when I do go into that office and I see it on the wall. And so I think it, it gets probably a little bit of both. Like we just don't think about asking. We take that for granted, but it does give us a little bit of comfort when we do see it. Absolutely. Yes. Um, and I do think, you know, I do think it's very, even though it's not regulated and there are no requirements for certifications, I think it's absolutely important for anybody, no matter how wonderful of a trainer you are, I think it says a lot to your client that you're willing to jump through a few hoops and, and not even, not only that, but you know, you're, when you get certified, depending on, you know, most of the organizations, the, the quality organizations, national, international and whatnot, you know, require, you know, peer review and um, recommendations, even a vet recommendation, um, uh, you know, other uh, colleagues to write a recommendation. So it just shows that you're willing to um, be part of a community and always be, like you said, humble and hungry for the latest science, the latest information. So then in that same breath, how how do we empower or help clients or potential future clients to learn about the importance of certification. I know that's kind of a big one, but yeah. what, what would you recommend? That That is tough. I just, I, it's, I sort of feel like when I'm doing that, like I try to do that now, but I feel like, I, like I'm already, I'm telling the people that are already, you know, clients are following me on social media. So I don't feel like I'm getting the right people, if that right. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, I don't have a good answer for that. Um, I do try to educate people whenever I can. Um, certainly there are times when I'm um, at an event where there are other dog trainers and I see them training in a way that I don't find ethical. Um, I might just go out and show a different way of doing it without saying anything so people can see the difference. And But you know, as far as getting out a bigger message to people thinking about hiring a dog trainer, I'm a little stumped on that one. It it is a it is a tricky one, and I I don't know that we necessarily have the the perfect answer for how to change the world for dogs. I think kind of part of what you're saying is is a part of it. The social media is so big now that if we are making an effort to post about it, promote it, educate people, hopefully podcasts like this, it will reach enough people that it will propel this industry forward. I think another problem is, you know, speaking of social media, it is really tough to compete with um, other types of trainers that love to show like, you know, before and after videos of, you know, before and then 10 minutes later, and they show a dog that is behaving beautifully because they're beautifully shut down. Um, It's so it is tough to when, you know, I swear I tell half my clients that, well, this training is going to be like watching paint dry. It's hard to get, you know, it's not exactly a um, a way to win people right. over, <laughs> but that's when you know you're doing it right um, when you're really addressing the problem. So I get, you know, social media can be difficult because there are so many videos, trainers out there that show a lot of before and afters without showing all the stuff that happens in between. So we do have that working against against us, I think. Absolutely. And we had actually touched on that a little bit in the first part about how we, unfortunately, the onus is still on dog guardians to do that digging because of those posts you're talking about where it's, right. and like you said, it's actually, it's more like watching paint dry if you're doing it right. Mm-hmm. 
So what would be one question that you would want a potential client to ask you? So other than, you know, what's your, your credentials, what's, what's maybe one other question that you hope that clients will ask you? I think it would be good for them to ask about like, you know, past history of other, you know, maybe similar dogs. And while, of course, we know every dog is different, but maybe to hear um, some success stories or how it worked out for another dog. I, I don't like questions of how long is this going to take? That's, I get that one a lot. Yep. Um, that's dependent time. on, oh, so many things. You know, I always tell them what I would, you know, in a perfect world, but you just, you just can't answer that question. I think that's frustrating for people. Um, so I would say that's definitely a question I don't like to be asked. Um, but yeah, I think um, asking about, you know, other, other dogs, um, maybe asking about a question, like maybe looking at smaller goals. Like, so maybe not like how long is it going to take for my dog to be able to sit perfectly while a bicycle goes by or something, but you know, what are some goals that we can, we can, strive for leading up to that final behavior so right yeah i try to uh well i used to being retired now so um i used to try to really lay that out for for clients like initially like you know they they come to you with big goals which is great to have a big goal to work towards but it's also my job as a professional to make sure that I'm not promising or over-promising. Very much so. Yes. Yeah. And not, not necessarily based on my my skill or lack of skill, no, exactly. but just on what is what is the behavior that we're able to achieve that I'm not over-promising to that client, right? So um, I always try to to break that down for clients in that in that first meeting. You know that this would be a realistic first expectation. This would be a realistic first goal. And then, you know, like what you're saying, okay, then this would be a great second goal working towards your final outcome. And I think that that's a big thing too for guardians that are looking for a trainer is to asking a question like that and seeing what kind of answer they get. Oh yeah, I can fix that in two sessions or, oh, I can, you know, I can guarantee this training or I can guarantee I'll fix your dog. Um, and that's just not the case when we're dealing with sentient beings with behavior issues. And so I think definitely for us, um, you know, we have to also be really clear and transparent in what that modification looks like. I, um, I'll share this. I, um, I hope my, if my client listens to this, he isn't embarrassed, but um, I did have a client recently ask me, he um he was interested. Now, I don't do a board and train, you know, where they spend multiple nights, but um, I had a client ask if I would do that. And in that same like paragraph of it, he had emailed it to me, had asked, you know, and, you know, I know that there are trainers that offer a guarantee that you have the dog for two weeks and you, you know, there's a guarantee on the outcome. And I wrote back and I said, I absolutely will never offer a guarantee. I said, this is why they can, this is why they offer a guarantee. These are the methods that are likely being used. Um, so I'm happy to help you train your dog, but I absolutely do not guarantee anything. And he wrote back and was pleased as punch with that reply. I, I fully expected never to hear from him again. And he was really happy with that, which made me happy. Um, and I know I did think of another thing. I, I do, I do, 
I understand why people, you know, people don't hire a trainer because they want to have a better relationship with their dog usually. But I do wish some people could look at it that way, that as you improve your, you know, how can I, how can I have a better relationship with my dog or how can I enrich their lives more? Just because so many behavior, what we think of behavior problems, I really believe by having the dog's lives more enriched and having the, like providing them with activities appropriate for the species and growing a good relationship will solve so many behavioral problems. So I, that would be a question I would love to hear is how can I um, improve my relationship with my dog? Think if a client uh, or a client or a potential client asked me that question, I would just faint. (laughs) Yeah. I'd be like, oh, do you want to get married? Like, come on now. (laughs) Sorry, Neil. (laughs) Sorry, Neil, you're out. So, but that's like the perfect question. That's the dream question. Yeah. The first client, the first client that asks me that one, your session's free. Your session is yep. free. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> one thing that I think that we can advise guardians that are looking to potentially hire a trainer, again, going back to kind of language mm-hmm. and, you know, looking for a trainer that's going to kind of match our, our ethics, our values. Um, I think one thing that guardians can look out for is when they do ask these types of questions, that they're not getting answers, just canned answers filled with a bunch of jargon, that they're actually getting realistic answers based on like what you what you've said I've done this before I've worked with this dog this is the kind of outcome that we had versus these canned you know oh sure I've I've worked thousands of dogs and they've all been perfect yeah there are a lot of um you just need to show them you're the boss type and you know like I'll show you how to be the boss and that'll that'll just take care of everything And like transparency, we were talking about too, is just, it's so important in this field that we have to be honest with our clients about our limitations and what we can do. And I think that's something clients should look for as well. Because for me, I don't touch separation anxiety cases, and I'm very upfront with that with clients. And if somebody doesn't have the credentials for those cases and they're not open and honest and they're not forthcoming I think that's a big red flag for for clients that they should be aware of it does go back to what we said about looking at those institutions as well because in those code of ethics that should be laid out very simply for guardians to look at that is definitely one that should be there that you're not operating outside the scope of your education and your experience. And so I think that's a very, very good point. I agree. And the, um, and you know, the certification that they can be confusing too. It's like, talk about alphabet soup. There's so many out there, but you know, you definitely, you know, you're right. It's important to like, just take the time to look up what those letters stand for. Um, you know, they're starting to come up with their, their, you know, their own certifications. So like to get around, you know, so, you know, certification doesn't mean everything. You really got to do your homework. And um, because now there are certifications out there that are really have no weight at all. 
It's just right. something that someone came up with so that they could use a certain training method and still say they were certified. We just have to dig deeper, look at their ethics, and and the trainers need to be open to the clients. Um, um, so oh, you know what? I will add something to that, though. Please, yeah. Um, because of, um, you know, even then it can be, it really, you know, I think it really does come down to interviewing the trainer because I don't think the letters are enough. So I think really just asking specific questions about um, like what Nicole said, um, if my dog doesn't, you know, do what you want, what, you know, how are you going to address it? Right. How do they handle a setback in the training? Yes. How do they handle that? Yeah. And I think that's, that's a really good question in general to be asking. Yep. I think you're spot on. So before I ask my last question, because it's kind of more of a light one, mm -hmm. um, did you have any last ones, Nicole? Um, no, no, I think I'm I'm good. And then did you have any questions for us, Liz? No pressure, you don't have to. <laughs> uh, no, no, I don't think so. So then my last question for you, and this doesn't even necessarily have to be directly related to dog training. It can sure. be anything in general, but okay. what is something you wish your clients knew about you that they may not? Oh, let's see. Um, the I would say uh, most of them don't know that I am a, um, that, well, first of all, I'm a pre-vet major, but I think more importantly, I am a certified science teacher, uh, high schoolers. I've been teaching for 20 years and that's actually been incredibly helpful um, in my other moonlighting career as a dog trainer uh, because I actually started out as, as a teacher very different than I do now as uh, much less flexible. Um, you know, I was told coming in, which is interesting, I'll never forget it. I started teaching and um, another veteran teacher that was at the school said, don't smile until Christmas. And I was like, oh, okay. And it was kind of, again, that mentality of, well, they know more than I do. So, so I was very much more rigid, I guess, and very much relied on, you know, of course there are, there are rules at the school, you know, the kid doesn't have a pencil, they get a detention type thing. Well, after 20 years of teaching, I've learned that that is not the way to get kids to learn and that is not the way to build a relationship. So it's really carried over into the dog training that, you know, 20 years of teaching high schoolers really helped me train dogs. So I guess that's that's my my little <laughs> tidbit of information that some people might not know about me. And then one last question, actually, if any of our listeners wanted to get a hold of you or learn more about you, how can they find you? Sure. Um, so I have a website, which is just North um, NorthStarCanineConnection.com. Canine is spelled out C-A-N-I-N-E. Um, I'm also on Facebook. That's about all I do for social media because I am completely technologically illiterate. <laughs> Maybe one day one of you can help me how to <laughs> teach me how to get onto Instagram or TikTok or actually I don't want to do TikTok. <laughs> that's, no, that seems like a like a, a endless pit of despair. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but we will definitely list out um, and again, tag in the comments how people can get to these websites or your Facebook um, if they want to chat or connect with you in any way. Well, thank you both very much. It has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us on this very exciting episode of Beers and Biscuits. We hope you have enjoyed it. 
don't forget to give your dog a biscuit from us and we look forward to seeing you or well you listening to us <laughs> in the next episode <laughs>